Welcome Cap Fam and friends of Crusader Athletics. I'm Ryan Gasser. If you're new to the program or if there was one episode you should listen to, this is the one. We begin today's podcast with a double dose of Dixie Jeffers. First, Coach Jeffers puts on her AD hat and gives us an update from within the athletic department. Then she turns the cap around and goes all coach mode on us as we check in on the women's basketball team from her view inside the huddle. Our alumni spotlight shines on Alex Coleman, all-conference football player from the class of 2014. And then, the feature of all features, we got the chance to sit down and get to know the man at the very top. In one of his first interviews since being named Capital University's interim president, Dave Kaufman gives us a glimpse into who he is as a successful businessman, leader of the Cat Fam, and sports enthusiast. Told you this is the episode you want in on. Deuces are wild on episode two of season two of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. Welcome one and all to this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. As we always do, we open the program up with the AD update. And to do that, as always, we bring in the Interim Director of Athletics and Recreation, Miss Dixie Jeffers. And Coach, we want to kick it off. Just, hey, we're, we're about a month into having students on campus. The numbers are coming out regularly as provided by the institution. And COVID numbers are nearly non-existent here on Capitol's campus. A few things that we're taking care of, but by and large, we're in incredibly good shape. Talk to us about how Capitol's response has succeeded. And as we enter flu season, and what our focus should be. Well, we are extremely pleased with how the kids and the faculty and the student athletes are conducting themselves right now on campus. Um, we couldn't be more pleased, to be honest with you. We're less than 1% of positive tests. Um, it's when it, we couldn't have been any better, knock on wood. You know, with the flu season getting ready to start, and it really has started, we're all a little on edge with that because we are uh, still in close quarters. But if we continue to wear our mask, you know, I'm, I'm gonna encourage the shots, go ahead and continue to wash our hands and so forth. We should be in pretty good shape even getting through the flu. Very good to know. I know that that is something that we're all going to be battling during this fall season. Uh, if there is anything that you could tell people, you know, what are the expectations as we enter flu season and as we increase our activity here in the CAP Center, what do you expect to happen or hope that does? Well, we're getting ready to go into phase two, so uh, which means now it's groups of 50. Now we can share common balls or common sticks, common items that we play with. We still cannot go face to face with one another in a five on five setting and so forth, but uh, with us all starting to move inside with the weather getting colder, it's gonna be interesting because the germ count's gonna go up. Um, the university put in all over the campus pretty much a new air filter systems to help keep this thing cleaner and keep things moving faster. So I think that's really aided in us in being able to keep the germs down. Our, our cleaning service has been impeccable. All they do all day long is wipe things down, clean the restrooms and keep things going. So I can't say enough good things about that. And then we have Virex all over the place that when we visit recruits, we continue to clean after they're here and so forth. So we really are doing everything that we can possibly do in our bubble. And it's working for us right now, but what's really working for us is our kids are doing a good job off campus and in the dorms. 
So again, a shout out to the cleaning services here at Capital University. Couldn't do it without them. You say that we're about to enter phase two and increase that body count as far as how many could be with one another while they practice. Take us through as a reminder what or how long phase two lasts, what it comprises of, and then what phase three looks like and when that happens. Well, phase two is different for some of us. Uh, a lot of people started on October 1st. Uh, my particular team, we chose to hold off in condition. So our phase two will start on Thursday and then women's lacrosse's phase starts on Sunday, phase two. Meaning that just five on O, still a lot of conditioning, a lot of footwork, a lot of fundamentals, a lot of skill work. We're still so out of touch and it's just not in women's basketball. It's across the board. I go out and I watch this condition and wow, you can tell we've been off for a while. And so we just need to continue to stay, keep that pace up and so forth. And I'm looking forward to SAC doing the competition games right before uh, Thanksgiving break for prizes and everything. And we're giving people time to train and get through this. And hopefully we can keep the, the, the positive count down enough that we can continue on to phase three, which will be two weeks from when we start phase two, which now that's a normal setting for us where football's padding up and hitting, women's basketball, men's basketball are, are going five on five live. And so it looks normal for us. And then we would do that all the way up till December 10th, um, hit the pause button, and then we would come back. And for the winter sports, we would come back uh, December 26th and then get ready to start our season. In speaking of those winter sports, the last time we had spoke, we were waiting on legislation or decisions to come down from the NCAA, which would sort of either govern how or govern the timing of those winter sports. And for us, that would be mainly basketball and track and field. Are we any closer or is there any progress being made that we can see a decision coming down? We will make progress at the end of this month um, where we're going to go. We're still waiting for the NCAA to say some people are, people think they're going to push back a week. Some people think they're not going to push back. So it's a waiting game of what we're doing. I think the biggest thing we're going to have to deal with is the testing three times a week. Um, that's what's going to be interesting on our budgets. That's what's going to be interesting how we're going to play three times a week if we're testing three times a week. So it, there's a lot of things to be ironed out still, and it's a work in progress, as we know, every day. Now, coaches have been having limited practices as they go through the first two phases, and their teams are beginning to work out a little bit, even on their own. How do you grade some of the ongoing activities, both in safety, its effectiveness, and just even just getting action here in the Capitol Center? How do you grade that all? Well, it's great that everybody's back, but, and I am watching. And believe me, I've had conversation with a lot of the different student athletes just about how we need oxygen tanks everywhere. Um, we're that bad out of shape. And it's going to take us a while to work these kids back in. And I'm hopeful that everybody's going to take their time to work them back in because we're not playing this semester. So we need to be mindful of training these kids at a high level but a safe level. I think I watch the coaches stand in the middle of the courts, in the middle of the fields with their mask on. and and the kids are still in their pods. So it's going to get interesting as these pods go away as we start to come together and so forth. But we're doing daily temperature checks and monitoring things. And, you know, if somebody's asymptomatic, we're getting on it right away. And the Qualtrics helps because you can't get in, into the center without checking it. And people have held each other to a different standard. But I look at what we're doing, and, and it's great to see us doing things again in, in a somewhat of a normal capacity. 
we're here in our AD update with Coach Dixie Jeffers. And Coach, and I say coach with purpose because you are still the head coach of the women's basketball team. You're beginning to get into that season in which your coaching responsibilities are beginning to pick up. So what are a few of the items or goals that you hope to accomplish from your AD chair that you hope to get done uh, before all of that time all, you know, starts to shift into your coaching responsibilities? Well, our focus throughout the department is on recruiting because we never know with this pandemic are we going to shut down again? What are we going to do? So we really have been pushing, um, uh, getting kids to campus, and I really have seen a lot of the coaches do a great job of pushing the kids to campus with a lot of visits, a lot of enthusiasm, and I like the type of athlete that I've seen on this campus so far. So the biggest focus is get this recruiting thing done because I think kids are going to commit early. Um, I think we have a great product. So we're trying to get a big recruiting event here on October 31st, and that's going to be fun because Dave Kaufman's going to be here, Jody Fortier is going to be here, and we've got some alums that are going to speak and so forth. So it's going to be a big day for us and a productive day of being able to tell people who Capital University is really about. Um, moving forward, trying to figure out how to manage to these tests. I want to get that done. Um, I think the department is in a pretty good place. It would be great if we had the staff here all together, but we don't. That, that would be fun, but I don't think that's going to happen. And then just keep trying to push the message of who we are to, and just keep working hard with these kids. Um, so far, so good. Our, our kids seem to be stabilizing on campus because it's been pretty an emotional roller coaster. Now, I know that we have activity here in this building in the CAP Center, and if you go outside of the Capitol Center, there is still a lot of activity, and some of it I've actually partaken in or just enjoyed. My personal favorite is how some of the conservatory students have taken their instruments outside to begin practicing, so it's like a free concert everywhere you go on campus. But for you, as far as outside of the Capitol Center, what activity are you most enjoying seeing, uh, whether it be athletes or the student body at large? I think what I've enjoyed the most is walking through campus with the fountains on and watching people sit around the fountains again and eat and talk and you know social distancing and doing all those things and I have too have enjoyed the conservatory because you can hear them everywhere and they're pretty creative they're everywhere any spot that they can find they've been getting in and playing their instruments and so forth just I think the most thing is is seeing kids get up and down the field out here and walking in today and seeing my team out on the on the hard court all shooting now it wasn't the intensity level that i wanted but it's still nice to see them in there and i just looked at my assistant today so that i'm walking in on thursday i said they're so gonna die it's <laughs> 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 just understanding that intensity level again you know <laughs> well i know that we are i mean this kind of optimistic thing is that i'm out of questions for you which means we're kind of in this slow period of news, um, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> so just given the amount of activity that we've all endured over the last couple of months and now coming to a bit of a yield, we'll say, not a stop, but a yield, is it nice to actually have a little bit of breathing room? Well, it's been a frenzy. I'm not kidding. It's been a frenzy because you just had to prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare. And... You know, I, I hand it to my medical staff, I hand it to you and Dustin and Ryan, because you guys have stayed with me through this since June 1. And we've done nothing but prepare to make this facility safe 
and make it safe for our student athletes and our students to come back. And it, um, it's nice to be able to breathe a little bit, but we're still working on a lot of different projects, a lot of different things, because we have to plan for next year. So what I've been doing is not only planning here, but I'm looking forward and spring is going to be so hectic with us all playing and so forth and to make sure in November. So I am taking a little idle time right now because November is going to be a start to do our planning month of how do we manage to every sport going off now and what we're going to be, what we're going to look like. Well, it sounds like the machine is working well thus far. We hope it continues to do so. So hopefully we'll be having more productive conversations here in the future. Uh, this has been our AD update here on Forward Capital Crusaders here with Interim Director of Athletics and Recreation, Dixie Jeffers. Hang tight with us, Cat fam, because coming up after the break is going to be our coach and program update. And guess what? On the docket today is women's basketball. So I think you know who we're talking to next. <laughs> so stay tuned. We're back here on Forward Capital Crusaders. We are now moving into our coach and program update, and it's almost as if we just hit the pause button. This week, we are focusing on the women's basketball team, so we look no further than the end of the hallway in the athletic director's chair than head women's basketball coach Dixie Jeffers. Coach, long time no see. I know we just kind of talked about what the AD update is, but now we go into your program, and you are entering year number 36 as the head women's basketball coach. You know, Balancing these two roles has got to be challenging. How would you describe balancing AD responsibilities and now head coaching responsibilities? I know you've done it before, but not to this degree. Well, the old cliche of it takes a village, it takes a village. So my thing this year is to be intentional in everything that we do. So I've been very intentional of who I surrounded myself with. and. I feel really good with the, my right and left hand on the floor of, of helping me do things with you and, and Dustin. And I feel really good about my assistants that are with me in basketball. I mean, Molly's been with me starting her fourth year and, and Bubba's been with me for 20 some years. And we'll get to them at the back end of this interview to talk about how special they are to you and how much they do for the program. But now that you are the acting AD and going into basketball season, do your players look at you any differently? Or do they kind of, you know, almost walk on needles because they know that they're, you know, not just messing with the head basketball coach, but also the AD of the department? Well, we've talked about being, being on their A game because uh, they have to, uh, make sure they don't get in trouble on campus. Make sure they don't do any violations because then they have to answer to me in a double whammy. But, you know, really, they, I'm coach. They they want me to coach them, and they look at me as coach, and everything's always coaching questions and so forth. And um, it's just great to see them in the gym and, and not look so indifferent about what's coming at us. Now, you're part of the process that flashed the green light to say we can go back to action in a limited capacity as we go through the three phases. What has your interaction been with the team since giving that green light? Well, we've been given by the NCAA 114 days of contact. and We can't use them all because of how we started school in September. So with that being said, uh, we're not in very good shape. None of the athletes are. So, and we, we're one of those groups. So we've been slow playing it. Molly's been doing the strength and conditioning training. And this Thursday, like 
October 15th has always been our start date, and I kept it to October 15th to slow play it in. And then I'll walk in October 15th, and that'll be my first day of contact with the kids in seven months. So, you know, we're going to go through baby steps. We're going to do a lot of ball handling, a lot of conditioning stuff with the ball, and just get in some five, five on 0 reps and everything to get us through phase two and just really continue to work on their conditioning with the ball and their eye-hand coordination. It does sound like that that is going to be a focus this elongated offseason is the conditioning part. It, it, will that be any different than any other start to years past, or is there more of a focus on this? Well, I think there's more of a focus on it this year because uh, we're generally a lot better shape than we are right now. I mean, for seven months, they, could, they had access to cardio. They could get out and run, but they didn't have access to the weight room and so forth. And kids just do not train without their coaches being there the, the right way, the way that we need them to. And, you know, it's needless to say we don't want any of our kids getting hurt. So I'm not in a hurry because we're going to get through this. And when I can get to phase three in two weeks, we'll start to pick the pace up and we'll start to get a little bit more competitive. I, I love our squad size. We're around 15, 16 kids. That means a lot of kids are going to get a lot of reps. And there isn't anybody that's going to leave the gym saying, hey, I wanted more. Well, that is a good thing, and we do have a few more extra days since we will be pushing the season start date into mid to late January. We're talking with, we're going to turn the hat around, not AD Coach Jeffers right now, but head coach Coach Jeffers of the women's basketball team. And, you know, talking about that elongated uh preparation time and the delayed start date when you look at the opposition all the other teams in the conference which it sounds like the schedule is probably going to be exclusive to conference competition do you look at them and scout the opposition any differently because we are in a pandemic year no we uh we have um, a service that we use called synergy and that allows us to watch any game in the country we want to watch at any time when we all get up running so no, that that's just the same. It's just for us if they if we're playing twice a week, three times a week, that that prep time becomes pretty vital. There's not a lot of time down to get your kids the rest that they need, and then turn around and prep another team. So it's uh, I said to somebody, boy, we're going to play an AAU schedule next, next, and next. But we'll see how this thing. There's just so many unknowns right now, and just to be able to train with the kids and get the kids in some type of normalcy of being able to run some offenses and work on some defenses and actually act like a team again. I'm, I'm excited about that. Now talk about some of those players that you're going to be relying on to help lead this charge into the 2021 season. Who are going to be some of those key returners that you're looking towards? Well, I look at my senior class and I look at Caroline Taphorn. She's one of the best guards in the, in the conference. Um, if she can keep healthy and, and be consistent. And then you got Allison Roach, who could be a really – prolific shooter from the outside so I'm anxious to see where she's at from that standpoint and then you have the two juniors you've got uh, Emma Burns and Brooke Omert who's played a lot for us I mean uh, Emma has started since her freshman year halfway through her freshman year she's been starting for us and I look at her sister Erin who's a lot like her she just likes the contact more than what Emma does and is a stronger, bigger type guard that can shoot the three ball, take you off the bounce, and, and does like the contact. And then there's Maddie Duguid, um, comes from Cincinnati. She can play the post for us as a freshman. It's going to do a really good job. And then our, our Twin Towers, 
We got uh, Kaylee Cyphers at 6'2", and then we have Gabby uh, Ledbetter at 6'3". I'm anxious to see their growth from a year ago. I know the kids have worked really hard during the COVID offseason. And so it's, there's a multitude of people that could step up and do some really good things. I'm anxious for this last year's class that has become sophomores to see their growth and to see the maturity of what they learned from last year. You mentioned the Twin Towers, and I think that once they took the floor and even when they stood up on the sidelines, everybody was like, whoa, when are we going to get to see them? Is the size and, and recruiting size, is that where this conference is going? And I know that John Carroll kind of set the standard with an all-conference player that they have and has dominated the league, but is that where this team is going? I think size inside always dominates. You know, um, there's a two big bodies that you're not just going to push around. Unfortunately, they were freshmen last year, and they're, they, you know, they got it. They've gotten stronger, and they just got it. You know how you learn how to use their arms and their bodies a little bit tougher. And it's still a guard conference, but boy, it does help when you got some big kids like that inside that can rebound and do some really good things. Now, you mentioned these players just a question ago, and it's a sister duo that you have on this team, and junior Emma Burns and her younger sister Erin, who's a freshman, both from St. Francis to Sales High School. It's certainly not the first time that you've had a sister combo on your roster, but talk about what this combo brings to the table and, and how their games differ and maybe how they're even similar. Well, when they're masked up, I don't know which is which. <laughs> Until, you know, Emma's... Emma's a little smaller than Aaron, and so they both turn and look at me. I'm not real sure which one's which. Their styles, their styles are a lot alike, and they play and practice together all the time. So their styles are a lot alike, and um, Emma's probably a better off the the bounce type player and finisher than what uh, I mean Aaron is, rather than Emma. And uh, Emma loves the three point line, and she likes to hang out around the three point line, and she does some good things. I think Aaron sees the floor better than Emma, to be honest be honest with you um, she really can see the whole picture where uh, Emma's a little bit more focused on the offensive side and Aaron can score but Aaron sees the whole floor well hopefully they'll bring a one-two combo just like the Watchmen sisters did just a couple of years ago so talking about some of those other freshmen uh, you mentioned Maddie do good but maybe who would else who else would make a case for playing time this year well Aaron's gonna make a case I mean, those two freshmen right off the top of my, my head. And to be honest with you, the key for freshmen to make a case coming into our program, or really any basketball program, is how good a shape are you in? What have you done to take care of your body? And are you ready for the speed of the game and physicality? Those are the things that need to be answered. And if those things can be answered earlier rather than later. And the biggest, biggest piece, are you focused to play college basketball? A lot of times the difference between freshmen playing and not playing is that freshmen come and they start to partake in a lot of things that school offers. And that is a distraction. So if kids come, the kids that have played for me as freshmen are here to go to school and they're here to play basketball and they get very, very little distractions coming through their, their, their frequency line. You know, it's just, they know why they're here and they wanna be here for those reasons. Those who do not and they become unfocused, they're typical freshmen where they're going to learn to grow with the game, learn to grow with the program, and, and, and learn what college is about. That's really the difference. And you never know who those kids are going to be until you walk in and start to work them out. 
talking about other underclassmen, to my mind, the one that pops out and saw a lot of time last year is Maddie Reese at the guard position. Is Maddie, where, where does Maddie stand? And maybe some other underclassmen that might see some increased playing time. I like Maddie. I like all of our guards a lot. Um, you know, we, we've got E, who who's, he did a really good job last year for us. She's not very big and very strong, but man, she could do some good things. She's more athletic than what people realize. And I think Demi Brewer could be a dark horse. Um, that kid has a lot, a lot of talent, and uh, we're going to see uh, where, where things have gone. It's just, again, it's that focus point again. We're talking with head coach Dixie Jeffers, head coach of the women's basketball team here, as she's doing double duty on this episode of Forward Capital Crusaders. And, Coach, I know that it's really early. You haven't even gotten onto the floor with your team just yet, and there's a lot of uncertainty ahead. But if you were to hope for an identity or a style that you want to implement in this year's squad, uh, what is it and how will it differ from years past? Well, our trademark is defense. We're going to pick you up, and we're going to play you hard on the ball, and we're going to distract a lot on defense and make you go to your second option. And then we just got to you know, sustain the physicality and, and just be an upbeat team. Everybody wants to watch a team that gets them down the floor. But uh, we've got to be able to share the ball inside out, and we've got to be able to knock some open shots down. And really, for me, nothing is going to change. The game is pretty simple. Get out and play it. Play as hard as you can play it, and that's who is what's going to represent us. Now, who's chomping at the bit more to get onto the floor? You in your role as head coach or the players? I, I think they're dreading me coming in on Thursday. <laughs> and I think it's probably me. I, I, I like um, the change of gears. Um, I'm going to like putting on sweats to come to work on Thursday instead of semi-dressing up every day. And um, it, it's, it's a challenging year to say the least, but my university needs me to step up and I'm going to step up and do what I can, but I will not cheat my team. I will not cheat my program at all. Um, they're first and foremost. Um, I love the, the, the staff here and I love the university and I put a ton of ton of work in since June 1st to get us to this point and now it's time for my kids to see their coach. As, and we've been harping on this over the last you know hour or so of this podcast, but you balance the duties as AD and head coach. This year, your staff may be more important and integral into your operations than ever before just because of this balance. And we're talking about assistant Molly Brennan and your longtime assistant, Jason, otherwise known as Bubba Wright. So talk about them and what their roles in this are going to be, especially in a very uh, unique year. Well, it's been a learning experience for me as well. And then about a month ago, um, Sundays are usually the time that I reach out to, to kids that I'm recruiting and so forth. And I've got a major project that I'm working on to try to keep us rolling in different areas on the floor. So I just asked Molly, I said, Molly, you're gonna have to step it up on the recruiting side of things and start helping you know, make more phone calls and so forth. I mean, I can do the Twitter accounts and I can do all that stuff. And Molly has done a phenomenal job and she has driven a lot of kids to campus that we had earmarked and checked last year and we, we've visited quite a few kids and I feel good about this class. I feel very, very good about this, this 21 class. It's very, very talented, very deep. There's a lot of depth in the state of Ohio and we've got some kids in Pennsylvania. We got some kids in Wisconsin. We got some kids in Kentucky and West Virginia. So I really feel good about our outreach of where we're at in Michigan. I forgot about Michigan. So we, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we've been covering it ever since we went into COVID. 
believe it or not, we were, thank goodness for Zoom, what a great instrument to recruit with. Um, if they had Zoom miles, I'd be a frequent flyer. <laughs> so uh, we have done a lot, a lot of work, and I can't say enough of what Molly has done to help pick that end of it and relieve that, that aspect of it. And, and then Bubba's Bubba. Bubba's always there for the practice time, and he's getting anxious to go on the floor too. And it just really is about people helping one another, and that's the CAP fam. That's where, especially in a pandemic, that we all have to rely on one another to help us get through this year. I had a coach come in today and said, hey, can I get this? I said, can we just get through a pandemic? Because I'm not real big on spending right now because I'm trying to save our dollars because of the testing and everything that's going to come forward, and I never know what the NCAA is going to change tomorrow. So I'm trying to hang on to our dollars wherever it is to, you know, to make sure that our kids are taken care of properly. Now, you mentioned, and this is incredibly important to note on your staff, that Bubba is Bubba. You've got to elaborate on that a little bit. Now, we've, we've featured him a little bit on the Twitter machine with his dance moves on the sideline, and he has some special antics. But just talk about him because I know that he's, he's more than a coach, especially to people in, in your staff and on your team. Bubba has been with me since he was 18 years old. And God bless him for it. That's right. That's right. And he's still with me. So he's become part of my extended family for sure. And his brother went here, Moose. And that's not his name either, but the family nicknames the kids. And so I was introduced to him at 18 years old when he came in to do, be a practice player. This is Bubba. And we just always called him Bubba. And on his diploma from Capital University, it's Bubba Jason Wright. So the university said, what? He goes, that's what everybody calls me. That's what I want on it. And that is a, an entirely... And he's a Bubba. And yeah, he's a Bubba. Yeah, I, there's no way to explain it. You, for anybody that hasn't met Bubba, you just got to come to the center when, you know, games get back on and everybody's allowed in. You just got to experience it firsthand. I'll just watch this on uh, Streamline because it's worth it just to watch him on the bench. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we, we can't wait to have everybody on the floor again. Is there any lasting message, whether it be something that we missed about your team or something that you're looking forward for this upcoming season that we missed out on? I can tell the CAP fam out there, that they can be incredibly proud, not only of the women's basketball program, but all of our student athletes on how well they have handled themselves through this whole pandemic and trying to follow the rules. And just, they're so glad to be back here at school, but they're so training and keeping their social distance. And they're kids, and that's, and that's really difficult to be a kid in a pandemic right now on a college campus in today's society. And they have done as well as they could possibly do. And I just want to tell everybody that this bunch is worth supporting. And they're just, they just need to be patient with us. Again, I've said that all year long since we started. But continue to stay patient with us because we're working through some tough things. But we're going to come out on the other side better. All right, you've heard it first from athletic director and head women's basketball coach Dixie Jeffers getting the update on her squad as we roll along through this episode of Forward Capital Crusaders as well as into the 2021 season. Stick around. We'll be hearing from alumnus Alex Coleman from the class of 2014 off of the football gridiron and later on from interim president Dave Kaufman.
We've reached the halfway point in this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. Now's your chance to hit pause and head to the locker room if you need a huff. Just don't sub us out. If you're going to do any kind of subbing, make sure that you subscribe to the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast on whichever app you're listening to so you never miss an episode. And leave us a comment and a rating while you're at it. Please and thank you. It's now time for second half action of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. Welcome, Cap Fam, and to another edition of our alumni spotlight. And in this episode, we are not going too far back in time. We're going to go back to 2013, where Alex Coleman was on the gridiron here for the Capital Football team. And so we welcome in Alex, graduate of the class of 2014. So, Alex, first, thanks for joining us. And uh, tell us where you are now and what you're up to and how life is treating you. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, Currently, I am... Um, in Columbus, Ohio, um, back and forth between here and Greensboro, North Carolina, where I signed with the uh, Carolina Cobras in the National Arena League. Um, other than that, you know, I'm pretty much keeping busy with this COVID-19 um, pandemic going on, trying to stay healthy, stay out the way, also stay in shape and help better uh, better use my, my time and my abilities to help a lot of kids around the, the Central Ohio area in their football seasons and whatever endeavors that they're going through. Yeah. You and I were talking off uh, film here and you were talking about how you are, you know, doing a lot of private lessons, a lot of private training in order to benefit anybody, uh, youth of any age. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing, who you're working with and, and how you're preparing them for a better football career. Um, I'm working with kids that are, um, Majority of my guys right now are in the high school and college range. Um, one of my my main guys that I have often, his name is Caleb Younger. He plays for um, Tiffin University. He's one of the best D- Division two schools right now. And with guys like him, he's an athlete, very athletic kid that came out of the inner city. He went to Walnut Ridge High School. And um, he was a basketball player and a football player. And the kid's size, I mean, he's – 6'3", about 210, 215. So he has the natural raw abilities, just helping him fine-tune the specifics, like getting off the line. Uh, getting off press is a major thing for receivers that they, they really don't work on. They don't really know how to do. But it's such a key role, a key trait that a coach looks for to understand if he's going to be someone that you can use or if he's going to just be a situational guy, not an every-down guy. And we work on that. We work on eye, eye um, discipline in terms of catching the ball, catching the ball with your hands, never letting it touch your palms, uh, getting in and out of your breaks using a three-step cadence rather than a lot of choppy steps because getting in and out of your breaks is so important because there are a lot of DBs that can run the route for you. And um, those are the, the kind of things that I help him work on, and we've been grinding at it for, uh, I want to say, like three years now. And um, this will be his his first chance to be showcased in that offense. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what he does. I also have a lot of other kids, and it's pretty sporadic, you know, with the pandemic thing going on. It kind of it kind of kind of shrunk my group size, so I kind of changed it just individual guys. But that's a main guy that I work on consistently, and um, I'm open to train a lot of different guys. I always feel like. One of our purposes in playing playing sports and being athletes is our ability to give back and share our knowledge. So it's about taking the time out to do such things. 
That sounds fantastic. And for anybody that was listening to that, number one, you've probably gathered that Alex was a wide receiver slash slot back here at Capitol. And number two, of all of the techniques that if you're not familiar with any of the technical terms, just know that it breaks down to he's making kids and, and athletes get better. And he's doing a really good job of that, especially putting kids into a Division two atmosphere. And, and you know, Alex, you kind of began at the Division II level. We'll get to that in a second. But before you even stepped on foot uh, at a college campus, you know, you were a product of Eastmore Academy and you were a, a fantastic student. You were a fantastic athlete that went to a state championship. Talk about the experience uh, of being a fantastic academic and the excitement on being a championship team over at Eastmore Academy. Um, it was it was very important to me. Um, I always wanted to be a guy that really um, that really focused on being a student athlete because a lot of times you get that that jock tag on you like you know that you're just good in sports and you're you know mediocre to subpar in the classroom and I always wanted to be a guy that, that had both because getting your degree is so important. It was always preached to be to to put school first, and at Eastmore, you um, you had to have a certain academic level to get into Eastmore to be eligible to get into Eastmore. And then when we got there, it was the attention to detail. Like, I never wanted it to be an excuse that I wasn't available to play because of my grades, or I wasn't available to go to college because of my grades. Because that is a thing that has plagued the inner city coming from Columbus Public Schools. It's plagued a lot of our star athletes for decades. And I didn't want to fall into that same line. I didn't want to fall under that that stigma that that's the type of type of guy I would be. And when it came to playing sports, I mean, I played football, I played baseball, I played basketball, I ran track. Um, so I never was not playing, but it was always important for me to do whatever I did at the high level. I got my first taste of, you know, high school football as a freshman. You know, I played varsity as a freshman. I uh, got into basketball. I was on varsity as a sophomore. You know, I, I dabbled a little bit with varsity as a freshman, but I was on, on the team as a sophomore, and I ended up being a two-year starter and a two-year captain in both, you know. And then with track and, and baseball, the, my focus wasn't so solely into those things because I played AAU basketball for All Ohio, um, All Ohio Red, which is the highest team, and we constantly traveled. I mean, everywhere across the country, we constantly travel. So I never really sat still. But in terms of, you know, everything that I was allowed to to, to take in as experiences, when I finally – when we made our, 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 our run to the state championship, it was such a, such a blessing to be able to do it. But I did it with the guys that I came into school with. We had 20-some-odd seniors. So we, took, we went from the ground up. You know, we went from freshman all the way through to our senior year. We went to the state. We didn't win the state. But it was still such an experience. I happened to, you know, perform well. I set a record in that game. I got most valuable player. But it was more so the culmination of us putting all our hard work that we had been through to get to that point. I wish we would we was able to overcome the hump. But we had we were depleted by injuries and things of that nature. But just to be there on that stage was such a life-changing thing because only two teams have ever been to the state championship out of the Columbus Public Schools. And we were one of them. And that that is a fantastic and kind of an envious accomplishment for many that haven't been there, you know, and from that experience that propels you into your collegiate career. Now you decided at the beginning to begin your uh, career at Ashland University. Um, tell us about what went into that decision and ultimately why you decided to transfer out and, and make your way back to capital. Um, 
so ultimately Ashlyn came at came to me first. I always had ambitions of playing on TV Saturday morning, Saturday afternoons, you know, for my family to see. So Division One was all I, all my heart was set on. I didn't know much about Division Two or Division Three. I had a couple Division One scholarships that I didn't take, or I would say I just didn't commit to off the top because I didn't know where I wanted to go until I committed to Louisville. But Louisville had a coaching change, and those coaches didn't re-offer a scholarship, so I ended up having to go back to Ashland. And when I got when I went to Ashland, it wasn't the same the same feel. Like it wasn't as welcoming because I felt like Ashland thought I put them on the back burner, you know. And that never was the case. But that's just the 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 feeling I felt when I went when I went to Ashland. And you know, Coach Geyser always showed me a lot of a, a lot of love, a lot of support. Um, so was Coach Owen. So when I went to Ashland. Um, a lot of things went smoothly. I butted heads with a couple guys just just off of the competition aspect. Me being a freshman with a lot of a lot of hype and things like that coming in, um, I ended up making a, the making the dress team to play against Bloomsburg. I went down to Bloomsburg. Um, I thought I was gonna be the starting punt returner because that's what I had been doing, and I ended up getting told that I was gonna get redshirted. So I just basically watched the game. So when I got redshirted. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I stuck it out, you know, and Ashland just ended up not see, not being the fit for me. So I transferred from Ashland and I went to Ohio Dominican and I went to Ohio Dominican because they were going to be in the GLIAC, which was the best D2 conference in the country. But it would have been the first year and I would have been back home in Columbus. Um, so when I transferred to ODU, everything was cool. Everything was, was good. I came in as uh, five deep at the slot position and I ended up working my way up to battling with a five year senior. For the for the starting spot, he got it, but he was he was cool about it. You know, we 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 I understood the process, and I understood that there was things that I could learn. So, Coach Conley, who happened to be a a well known Ohio State coach and recruiting coordinator, he brought me into the office one day because in practice they asked the receivers to go to defensive back and the defensive backs to go to receiver. I ended up doing really well at defensive back, and Coach Conley called me into the office, told me that I earned my scholarship because I transferring in, you couldn't get a scholarship and uh from D two to D two. And asked me if I was if I would be willing to move to corner. I ended up starting at corner. Um and everything was fine, was smooth. I went to spring game, bought out in the spring game, back at receiver. Um and then we 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 came to a situation where they had had an issue where they couldn't give me the money that that I had earned. So um I had to make a decision knowing that I knew Coach Stanford at Capitol from doing my internship there as a senior and with Coach Hauser, Coach Stanford always told me if anything had happened, I had a home at Capitol. So one of a guy that was like an older brother to me named Josh Anderson, he was looking to transfer out of Central State. So we spoke, you know, I spoke to Coach Stanford, and it all happened, and I, I went to Capitol. It was a no-brainer. I didn't know much about the D3 um, level in a sense at all in the first place, but I knew about capital because of coach Stanford, because we always went to the, the capital seven on sevens in high school, which were really big. So that made my, my decision to go to capital a no brainer. I knew that a guy that was like my brother, Josh Anderson was going Two of my other uh, teammates from ODU, um, uh, Ryan Williams and uh, Chase Karras. We all went, so knowing that Coach Stanford was a very good friend, it, it really was a no-brainer. 
Well, it just goes to show that the connections, wherever they're made, can run deep and can last a, li- a lifeline and get you to the places that you're meant to be. And, and that place was Capital. We're talking with Alex Coleman, class of 2014 from Capital Football. And so let's keep on talking some football. You know, before we get into, you know, really your role as it came to be, um, just talking about a little bit more about you know, your background, like when you were playing as a, as a kid, were you always the playmaker? Were you always the guy that needed the ball in your hand or did you play a couple different other positions? Uh, when I was younger, my first year playing, I actually was a center. And then the next season I became the quarterback. So I went from center to quarterback. And <laughs> um, I played uh, little league. I played center. I played quarterback. I played running back. And um, I was always a cornerback. I always played corner. And uh, coming coming up through there, when I got to high school, I went into high school thinking I was going to play running back. Um, we actually happened to be about five deep on varsity at running back. And I played corner. And I thought I was going to just be a corner for the rest of my life. Um, I went to Michigan State, and I um, – was like the top freshman performer out of camp at Michigan State at corner. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a corner. I'm going to be a corner. We got into camp um, my freshman year at Eastmore. We uh, used to go to Ohio Northern every year for camp, and we'd do three days for five days. We got into camp, and um, our coach, you know, he was like, well, we need a guy to play running back for the scout team. So I went to running back. So I'm like, all right, I'm locked in at running back. So uh, as the season went on, our receivers was ha- was struggling, so our co- my, our coach was like, "Man, I need we need somebody that can catch. We need somebody that can catch." I've always had great hands, always. So I'm like, "Look, my position at, at running back, I'm like five deep. I'm probably not gonna play that much." So I go to I go to receiver, and I ended up I ended up playing um, more receiver as a freshman. You know, I, I was in on certain packages on four wide and stuff like that. So that was how that all got started, and I just loved it, so I stuck with it. Ended up becoming a, what, three times All-City first-team receiver, three-time All-City first-team district, um, two times All-State, you know. So it it really just became second nature, and I love returning punts. So I was a punt returner from Little League all the way through high school and then Capitol. Just get this man on the field, and he'll make you look smart, right? (laughs) That's what it is, man. Like, you know, student of the game. There you go. Now, I mean, when you when you look at your game, like, how would you define your style? Um, as a receiver, my style my style is I'm going to catch everything. I'm going to catch everything. Um, I'm going to run precise and crisp routes, and I I don't feel that anyone can cover me one on one. So, and then when I get the ball in my hands, I turn into that running back again. I just make plays when the ball is in my hands. Um. And as a punt returner, just don't kick it to me because it's going to be a problem. <laughs> Which are incredible traits to carry over into, into the arena league. That's almost exactly what you're looking for. Now, let's kind of fast forward a little bit to your time at Capital. You know, you kind of had the added challenge that, you know, you came in with Coach Stanford and then you also experienced a coaching change that included a new system where under Coach Craig Candido, you were asked to move to slot back, which is quite different. Can you talk about that difference in the role and style between slot back and a traditional wide receiver role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when the coaching change happened, like I love Coach Candido. I talk to him all the time. Um, we sporadically talk. 
And uh, when I first met him, you know, I didn't know what to think, but he knew, like, who I was on film and stuff like that. So he, he told me off the top, like, you're going to be a slot back. I'm like, okay, what does a slot back do? He was like, you're going to – we're going to throw you tall sweeps and you're going to run the ball and then you're going to – so I was like, okay, that's fine. It doesn't – I mean, as long as I'm getting the ball, I don't really care. So um, the transition, though, like, I didn't know how much um, – one, I didn't know how much I'd be blocking, but there's a lot of blocking, and it's not regular stalk blocking. You're like taking these out, cut blocking, and rolling. You know, if the, if the ball is coming your way and you're not getting it, and then, um, I mean, I think I had I led our team in passing touchdowns. I'm receiving touchdowns, and I only had seven catches. You know, so it's like I might have called. You never knew when that when we were going to throw the ball because we rarely did it. But when we did, it was always like a wheel or something like that. So there was no route tree. So that I think that was one of the biggest things. It's like going from running a route, having to win one-on-one matchups with a cornerback versus, you know, the number system in terms of who you're blocking. Like there's a number system in terms of who when we go in our toss or our option phase, there's a number system you have to count to know who you're supposed to block. So it's the, the transition was very big. And once you learn how to count, everything was easy. But when you go from being a receiver, it's like, look, just beat your man. You got a post. You got a corner. You got a dig. You get in the rock. You know, you got to just understand, all right, are they in cover two? Are they in zone? Are they in man? That's a lot easier than having to count, okay, I got this in, that linebacker, this inside linebacker. That's one, two, and three. That's how we have to block. It was a, it was very challenging knowing that you only had a certain amount of time and in Division three we don't have traditional spring ball to learn that system that quick. Well, the transition went pretty well for you. I mean, I got the numbers here in, in front of me, and in 2013, your senior year, you know, you had over 500 rush yards. You had five total touchdowns between rushing and catching, and then in kick and punt returns, you had more than 600 yards combined. So you were a jack-of-all-trades that led you to become a second-team All-OAC selection. That's the resume, and that's kind of the pinnacle of it right there. But do you have a game that you remember best or that sticks out for some reason or another? I think both games that I had my junior year and my senior year against Otterbein would be my two signature games. Uh, my junior year was my last year playing receiver, and I think I had um, I'm 100-plus yards in the touchdown, but one of my key signature touchdowns was a, a major play late in the game because it came down to the wire, and I caught like a fade ball over a corner and drug him into the end zone. And um, the second year, uh, we had a coach named uh, Nick Davila that went over there from – capital to Otterbein and I went to him like you know first play of the game I'm gonna score and my coach came to me like what you gonna do and I was like the first time I touched the ball I'm gonna score so uh, lo and behold the first offensive play I got a toss and I took it 68 yards for a touchdown and that kind of set the, the stage for the rest of the game I think I had like 160 yards in the first half uh, rushing but we ended up losing and it, it hurts that we lost, but that, that, those two games were both signature games to me.
Called his shot. Man, that takes some skill right there. <laughs> We're talking with Alex Coleman, class of 2014 from Capital Football. And Alex, going beyond your time at Capital, while it may not have been in the NFL, you did and you are having a chance to play professionally in the arena leagues. Talk about that first opportunity, how you got there, and uh, especially the one that landed you a breakout game and in a, in a championship bid with the Atlanta Havoc. Um, <clears throat> The first – I think my first opportunity at all, like coming out of Capitol, knowing Coach Candido and the way that he does things, Coach Candido is a very good guy. I didn't really know which direction to go in terms of getting – I always wanted to play professional. And when I first got a shot, I happened to be training with a friend of mine named Dave West, and he knew a coach who's one of the most respected coaches in arena football now named Coach Billy Back. And Billy Back had a team called the Nashville Venom. And he touched base with him, like, you know, I got this guy who's a really good receiver. He's looking for a chance to play pro. And Coach Back um, invited me to a workout in Cincinnati. I went. He ended up signing me. Um, I ended up playing with the Nashville Venom that year. And I ended up leaving the Venom and playing a couple games here in Marion, Ohio. And then I signed with the team in Pittsburgh called the Erie Explosion. And, like, the P, uh, the league was called the Professional Indoor Football League, which was, like, the feeder league to the Arena Football League because there was no Arena 2 anymore. And I ended up doing well that season. Um, my next my next season, I ended up um, with the Cleveland Gladiators. Then the season after that, but I only did practice squad stuff with the, with the uh, Gladiators. The next season after that, I ended up playing for the um, – what we call the High Country Grizzlies in the in the National Rental League, and the national the National Rental League has kind of taken over for the Rental Football League now, and um, it was their inaugural season. After that, see, after that year, I made a relationship with a coach named Josh Resignalo, who we're really good friends now because I played for him in High Country. He ended up going to Atlanta with the Havoc. I ended up going to the Havoc with him, and we ended up winning the championship. And from there, the film that I had with them and one game last year with the Havoc the following season, I got a shot with the Albany Empire in the AFL. And from there, um, I ended up signing here with the Columbus Destroyers. And um, I played one game here with the Destroyers. The rest of the year I spent on and off with the practice squad. And um, now I've signed with the the Carolina Cobras, which is in the premier arena league now back in the National Arena League because the AFL has folded and I'm in a position now to where I'll have a chance to be the guy, one of the guys on the offense for the team. So I'll be showcased a lot more, but it's all been a grind from that first year in 2015 to now, but it's all about one thing about the arena football league is in its own. A lot of it is everyone is connected in a way, you know, this guy played for him or this guy played with him and, he can get you a shot here. Like, that's really what it's all about. It's all about, it's just like any business venture. It's kind of about your networking, you know. And now that I have this opportunity, I'm just excited to get a chance to really showcase the receiver that I actually am in a role where I'm a go-to guy. I was I was one of those in, in uh, Atlanta with the Havoc, but I was kind of later to the party because I didn't join the team until later in the season. 
Well, as much as we would love to see you be playing here in uh, in Columbus, we're extremely happy that you have an opportunity with the Carolina Cobras. And assuming that we get everything uh, under wraps with the coronavirus and the pandemic, we are excited to see you playing in the 2020 season. So tell us a little bit more about the Carolina Cobras, you know, where they are based out of, where you guys play, and maybe even a few teams that you may play. Um, the Carolina Cobras are based out of Greensboro, North Carolina. We play at the Greensboro Coliseum. In the National Arena League, which is the only major arena football league and arena football rules league that's around right now. And we play teams like uh, the Jacksonville Sharks, um, the Columbus Lions, the Orlando Predators, which is another um, old AFL organization. Uh, The new Albany team that was uh, recently the Albany Empire. They just they'll have a new name. and those are really the, the main teams that are that that'll be in the league right there. They're, we're we're looking for some additions. Um, there's a lot of expansion talk, but by the time this season comes around, the season comes around in the spring next year, I would say we'd have anywhere between nine to nine to ten teams. So we're just waiting on a little bit more expansion to go on. Excellent. Well, we look forward to getting some updates and maybe checking out some of the stats that you put up there for the Carolina Cobras. So we're talking with Alex Coleman from the class of 2014 from Capital Football. And so as a uh, communications major here at Capital, um, you know, have you ever thought about going into that sort of a field, uh, whether it be, you know, during or after your playing days? Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, starting my own business. Um, I want to get, I want to go and get my master's. Um, but right now I'm kind of with this, with this pandemic thing, I have a lot of time to really see which, which steps I want to take next. Um, I really, my, my key, my key interest is giving back and helping to provide to the inner city of Columbus in terms of the athletes, because I know a lot of myself, a lot of my friends, um, that grew up, we lacked a lot of knowledge, and a lot of the parents lack a lot of knowledge in terms of what to do with their kids. And um, I really want to be able to bridge that gap between knowing, you know, what you have to do to make your kid eligible, what kind of test scores they need, um, getting getting registered with the clearinghouse, also um, explaining to them that everything isn't about Division One. You might have a Division One talent, but the Division One might just not be looking for that kid but there's a lot of money still out here for you to get. So you don't have to pay for, for school. And um, also in an athletic field, I want to teach these kids how to, to be students of the game, how studying, how developing themselves and not relying so much on just, you know, showing up and playing because one thing that we fall short in the Northern region versus the South is we don't have spring ball in high school where in the Southern States, they have that. So they're getting art. They're getting, basically eight seasons to R4, you know, so that development that they are getting, we're missing. So a lot of kids that come from the South, the Southern region, um, they come into college ready to play. Whereas the kids in the Northern region aren't that developed, especially in the knowledge of the game. So I really want to help bridge the gap in any way that I can for those kids to do that. And right now I'm looking for a way to be able to, to accomplish both. That sounds fantastic. Now, as we get into the back end of this interview, Alex, we're going to hit you with a couple of quick hitters, call them the button hooks or the slant routes of this interview. Uh, But let's start with, you know, if you were going to give yourself a Madden rating, what do you think you would have given yourself? 99. Or what would you give yourself now? 99. 
<laughs> With, I shouldn't have expected anything less. <laughs> 99. <laughs> All right. Very good. What is the best non-football memory that you have at Capitol? Um, the best non-football memory. Uh, our parties off, our parties off limits. Cause we, I mean, a lot of it was just the parties we'd have, you know, among students and things like that. Some, some of the, the hangouts and things we'd have in the calf and things like that. Those are always the best memories you take. It's that, that camaraderie you have with your friends and things like that. We'll definitely give you a point for honesty on that at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what teammate do you miss having in your huddle and why? Uh, Josh Anderson. Um, Josh was an older brother to me from little league football all the way up to high school. And then we got to play together in college, but Josh was such a positive thinking, you know, always a glass half full mentality type guy. You know, he always seen the bigger picture. He always seen things from a net, from a positive view and he wouldn't let anybody get down on themselves. He was always, it's the next play. It's the next play. It's the next play. You know, he spoke a lot of confidence and a lot of positivity into players to get them to see the best of themselves. You know, when a lot of guys would beat themselves down and things of that nature, he wouldn't allow you to do that. You know, he knew the, he knew the, that whatever we want to do, we had to accomplish as a team. There was no one guy. Everybody had to do their job. Now, Josh may qualify for an answer on this next question, but we'll open it up. What teammate do you think that you'll never be able to forget, no matter how hard you try, for better or for worse? Um, J- J.J. Littman. JJ Lipman was one of my uh one of my friends who he was always funny, man. Like he was a, he was a receiver, then he played quarterback, then he was a receiver, you know, and JJ was a guy that just he worked hard, you know, he never knew where where he was gonna fall in line or anything like that, but he was always a positive guy, always had a smile on his face, you know. Even to this day, he he did some work and stuff with my sister in their business field, and he asked about me. And whenever I heard about, I'm like, JJ's my guy, you know, because he he always was He's a re- very cool dude. When I first got the capital, he was one of the most welcoming people that I met. Excellent. Now, who do you feel is your favorite athlete of all time? Deion Sanders. Excellent. Two way guy. I shouldn't have expected anything less right there either. Absolutely. <laughs> Nobody like Prime. Favorite sports movie of all time. Remember the Titans. All right. What teams do you follow in the sporting world? Um, I kind of bounce back and b- bounce around, and like the NF, I go wherever LeBron goes. So that's that's off top. The NFL. Uh, one of my best friends, Bradley McDougal, plays for the Jets now. He played for the Seahawks. He played for the Chiefs. He played for Tampa Bay. So wherever he goes, I just follow him. You know, I like to support my friends. Okay. Now, if I remember right, you're you're kind of an NBA guy as well. So, who do you have in the NBA Finals winning at all? The Lakers. <laughs> Any particular reason? LeBron James. <laughs> Simple as that, right? Yep. All right. So, as a football guy, I know that you watch it on Sundays too. I mean, what's the most impressive thing that you've seen come out of the week one of the opening NFL season? Uh, Julio Jones. Uh, I believe Julio Jones had nine – like, they lost, but he had nine receptions for 157 yards. I'm a big believer that Julio Jones is the best guy in the league. You know, like, if you can give me 150-plus yards on less than 10 catches, that's impressive to me. You know, a lot of guys that take some 14, 15, 16 catches to get that many yards, he does it in a handful, you know. 
Okay. Now, if you could have one active quarterback throw you a pass from the NFL, who would it be? Russell Wilson. All right. And from any era, dead or alive, what quarterback would you want throwing you a pass? I'm going to say Kurt Warner. Okay. He won a championship in arena and in the NFL. Good choice. I like that. Now, who do you feel is the best wide receiver of all time? Randy Moss. All right. And last but not least, Alex, if you had a piece of advice that you've received that you'd like to pass on to a member of the Cat fam, what would that be? Um, a piece of advice that I could pass on would be to to always understand that your work ethic will take you further than your talent ever will, because your work ethic will always be there. You know, talent talent can only take you so far, but if you're able to work for something as hard as you want or as hard as you can, that's the only thing that's solely in your control is how hard did you work. And a great piece of advice coming from somebody that has put it into practice time and time again and now finds himself playing professional Arena League football. This is Alex Coleman, class of 2014. Alex, thanks so much for the time and, and sharing your story and sharing what you're up to nowadays so that we can all be proud and find a way to uh, you know, have you see uh, playing on Saturday. You guys play on Saturdays in uh, the arena leagues is that not correct we play on mondays saturdays fridays it just depends like what day it falls on and travel and things like that all right well when, whenever you are playing we will make sure to keep in touch and see how you're doing down there in the carolinas we wish you the best of luck and thank you again for your time absolutely thank you man all right this has been alex coleman class of 2014 from capital football we'll keep on moving along here in this edition of forward capital crusaders Welcome, everybody, to our feature segment of this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. And in this podcast, our feature segment is probably one of the most highlighted and most anticipated feature segments that we've had thus far. And we would like to introduce to you and help to get to know the interim president of Capital University, Mr. Dave Kaufman. President Kaufman, thank you so much for joining us today. This is an absolute pleasure for me and I think for the rest of the CAP fam. So thank you for your time. And I know it's been a little bit of an unceremonious inauguration, but I know quite a few people want to take the time to get to know you. So I know that there's a lot to unpack. Let's start at the beginning, but let's get to know who Mr. Dave Kaufman is. Can you give a little bit of an elevator speech uh, that describes you and where you most recently come from? Yeah, Ryan, I appreciate the opportunity to, to join you today. And um, yeah, I come here the last eight years, I was CEO of what is now Encova Mutual Insurance Group. And that ended really a 30 year career with Encova. And um, across the, the last eight years, there is really about uniting 16 companies and under one banner, which is Encova. So we took 16 companies combined as one, united under shared values. And, and across that process, um, we doubled the revenue and doubled the net worth and really positioned the company to compete going forward. So I was just really blessed to be part of a, a superior leadership team. And uh, we build trust and, um, and executed results. And it was just a, a really good experience. So that's what I've been doing the last eight years. Now, you don't exactly come to us from a faraway land. You're a Columbus native. You've been here for a while. Where exactly do you call home here in the Columbus area? 
And we're in Worthington Hills, have been there through my whole career. I've got three daughters, so they all went through Worthington Hills Elementary to um, McCord to Kilbourne High School and then three, three different universities. So that is home. I grew up in uh, Bell Fountain, just an hour northwest of here, went to Ohio Wesleyan University. So Central Ohio has been uh, the, the foundation of, of me and my family. I did spend some time in uh, Connecticut, uh, Louisville, and Minneapolis, but never really um, drifted too far from, from this being, being the, the home for my family. So Capital University is no stranger to you. You've at least seen us in headlines or maybe even drove by campus a, a couple of times. So, you know, can you go over the progression of your career from jumping into the job market to as an actuary, as you describe it? And I have no idea what that is. So you're going to have to educate me there. Um, and then you, you know, become a financial analyst, which I'm a little bit more familiar with that term. But, you know, just talk about how you've made that progression from the beginning of your career to where you are now. Yeah, it's kind of a, an, an odd, um, I guess, an odd path. I went to Wesleyan, uh, double majored in math and economics thinking I was going to coach basketball and teach math. And then my senior year, I started taking some interviews, think I'd go get an MBA at the University of Chicago, math and economics aligned me for that. So I just took an interview with Connecticut General just to, for the experience of the interview, went to um, Connecticut in Hartford and met with, they said, man, you'd be a perfect fit for our actuarial program. And like you, I didn't know what an actuary was. So I learned, and it was um, really, it did align with the math and economics. It's about a, a seven-year commitment to get through the, the credentials. Um, and I could do that um, working, making money, as opposed to taking on more debt and getting an MBA. But what's kind of interesting is uh, I interviewed on a Friday, and they saw my background that I, I was in a sport at Ohio Wesley, and they asked if I played um, softball and what position. I was a shortstop. Well, they had a corporate team. Their shortstop was hurt. So they asked if I could stay over the weekend and, and I ended up playing with the team and kind of developed some relationships there. And that kind of created kind of the, I guess, the whole energy to, I went with Connecticut General in Hartford, pursued the actual career. And that really kind of opened up a lot of the professional opportunities I, I had going forward. One thing I learned with that is I was more acclimated to um, leadership, people, management, and most actuaries um, are a little more quantitative. They're they, they shift and focus more technically. And so what I found is with that um, quantitative background and uh, the leadership interest that really aligned me well for, for some of the opportunities that came to me through, through business and management. So you were their ringer and you turned that into a business. <laughs> no, I was, I was not a ringer. They, <laughs> but it was, it was funny though, how, um, you know, the, the camaraderie that, that you establish so quickly when you're competing and, and part of a team, you know, it was a, it was a Saturday, Sunday um, weekend tournament. And it just was interesting to me just to see how the bonding through that um, really uh, made me, hey, I wanna take this opportunity. And, and some of the coworkers through that experience have, are still lifelong friends. Well, we in athletics can certainly relate that how those kinds of opportunities can parlay into more opportunities. And speaking of opportunities, can you think of one that, whether it be an internship or a, a big time job or life experience that really put into motion the rest of your career? You know, um, I can think one, one person comes to mind. His name was um, Mr. McGilvery. He owned a Ford dealership in Bellefountain, Ohio, where I grew up. If you, right at the time I was graduating from high school, Honda was just, um, their factory was just going, their plant was going online, but right out at Marysville. And I bet two thirds of my graduating class was joining Honda and getting on the ground floor there. And that was my plans. So out of the blue, this guy calls me up and, and he said, I'm concerned you don't have 
plans to go to college. And I, I am the first generation in my family to, to go. And so he said, he goes, you know, I, I, I saw you play basketball and I, I know your grades. I think you might be good enough to, to go to my alma mater, which is Ohio Wesleyan. So he took a day, took me over, met the basketball coach and, and the team. And long story short, I got accepted, um, went to Wesleyan. So the, so one, and, he, and the irony of the whole story is Mr. McGilvery passed away fall term of my freshman year. So he spent one day in my life. I never got the opportunity to thank him. And him taking that one day, you know, changed the whole trajectory of, of, of mine from really being at Honda with a lot of um, friends that I grew up with to a, a whole different path that led to, to CEO at Encova and now uh, this, this opportunity at Capital. So pretty, pretty unique. It is, absolutely. One day can change the momentum of an entire life. We're here with the interim president of Capital University, Mr. Dave Kaufman. And so, President Kaufman, you've earned a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Griffith Insurance Educational Foundation, uh, serving as the CEO for multiple organizations and a board member for many, many more. Why take an interest in higher education and why Capital University? Well, the, um, so my... my insurance career as an executive was, um, was coming to an end. You know, um, I'd reached a point where a lot of the board commitments um, uh, were concluding. And in COVA, we had rebranded as in COVA about a year ahead of, ahead of time. So as I stepped out of that, um, I was really looking for a new challenge. I, coming from Ohio Wesleyan, and I'm, um, I experienced the D3 athletics and the liberal arts um, um, education. And a lot of my, my team, my leadership team, Matt and Cove and the other companies had a similar background. So I saw the, the power of that, but I also was aware of the, the headwinds of higher education and some of the challenges around you know, the private institutions and, and um, the capital, capital type universities. So um, I also have um, probably five pretty close friends that came through capital or through the law school so I also was always impressed with the quality of education and, and, and more than that, their experience at Capital. So that was part of the attraction. And then just seeing some of the, the challenges, I thought it would be a, a good challenge to, I saw where um, Capital, the significant impact it has on Central Ohio. I was aware of some of the challenges faced, not just by Capital, but, but all universities this size. And my hope was that maybe some of my corporate experience, I could you know, employ here and, and maybe help us um, transition through this to a, to a really good competitive place. So that was the attraction. And, and um, I tell you through three months here, it's, um, it's really validated, good choice. And I'm really enjoying it. And also seeing um, um, the bright side, you know, we have. I'm starting to see the strategies come in place. And, and I think our future is very bright despite some of the headwinds right now. As you mentioned, you've been on the job for three months. What have you learned specifically about Capital University or the people that comprise it that has uh, made you optimistic or just what you've learned in general? And one thing that really jumps out is the passion, whether it's the faculty, the staff, the alumni, the students, um, that is it. the passion around Capital University um, jumps out. And I think the, um, the, the commitment to the student experience of everyone you know, we are facing a lot of unknowns now, a lot of challenges. And, and what's taken me back is just um, faculty will um, roll up their sleeves, jump in and fill gaps, do things that, that, that just need to be done. I see staff the same way, caring for the students. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty there, just that, that care is real apparent. So I think what, what really jumps out at me is that, that superior student experience that, that we talk about, I'm witnessing 
And man, that is a strong foundation. When it's real, that gives us something really to advertise and, and recruit to. So I think that that passion and, and that student focus and the, the, the resources around the student success is, has really, um, I knew it was strong, but not as, as strong as, as what I've, I've experienced since I've been here. Now you came to Capitol at a, a pretty hectic time with everything that was going on nationwide as well as institutionally, and, and it still is to a degree, but what do you feel in three months that you've been here, you've felt good about accomplishing? I think um, maybe I'm kind of taking a strategy structure people approach. And so I spent the, um, the first really 90 days listening and learning, trying to get as familiar as I can with, with our challenges, um, with our key stakeholder groups, and, and I've learned tremendous about that. You know, where are we at? Um, what are some of the aspirations? And then spent a lot of time just strategically, you know, looking, we really have to, um, my job is to communicate and articulate an, an aspiring future. You know, what's the vision? I'm getting pretty close to that, Ryan. So we've, we've got six strategies that are like two-year strategies that are really the umbrella of everything we're doing. So my thinking is that's in place now, it's been articulated and we're starting to see some, some action supporting them. While at the same time, I've, I've um, got a cabinet form that I really love. I mean, a very capable team of 10 that represent all aspects of the university. We're, we meet together an hour and a half every week. So I'm starting to see the trust and the camaraderie build there. And what comes out of that is usually some really good execution. So um, I think that's probably the, the biggest achievement is here's the, the strategy, the direction, and the formation of a, of a team, a solid leadership team that with a, a foundation of trust. So we're really positioned, I think, to start, start moving forward a little more aggressively. Now, I know that it's really hard to not wanna just come in and make all kinds of changes. And, and I've heard that sometimes the best change is the one that's not so abrupt, but over the course of time is slowly seen. But if there's one piece of low hanging fruit that you might be willing to take on here in year one, what do you think that might be? I'm not sure that um, low-hanging fruit's right, but I, I think the, um, the number one priority is um, establishing a foundation of trust. You know, that, that is, to me, that is, we have got to, um, from, from the whole CAP fam community, as it takes a while for a new leader to come in because no one knows, well, maybe I'm just going to start um, taking action, you know, and, and reacting to short-term things. And that's really not my style. So the listen and learn is all part of, of creating that foundation of trust. And it slows us down a little bit, but with that foundation, that means that we'll get the understanding and the ownership of the things that have to happen and the trust and teamwork to, to make it happen. So, so that's probably my focus is that, that foundation of trust more than any one little um, low hanging fruit or, or individual initiative. And if you had a couple of maybe two, three, or multi-year uh, objectives that you would like to accomplish. Can you give us a little bit of a tease as far as maybe down the road what you would like to accomplish? I think it's really um, defining what um, distinguishes us, what distinguishes capital from the larger universities and some of our smaller peers that um, we can articulate in a way um, students and the community can, can respond to because I, I see what we offer here and the campus experience, the, um, the value of being on a team, those I've experienced it, I see it, but how do you articulate it and market it? I think is a challenge, but it can be done. So I think that the focus is really being able to distinguish what 
what is um, what distinguishes capital? What do we offer that others don't? And then be able to articulate that in a way that's um, there's there's an energy to it. And part of that can come with um, one thing I do bring is a lot of relationships to corporate Columbus and Central Ohio. And I think building on those relationships um, with the university and corporate Columbus, and even partnering with some of the other universities and, and sharing complementary offerings, um, I'm already seeing a lot of that starting to the collaboration happening. So, so that's what I'd like to see is just, um, is just that, getting our story out there, everyone seeing that, that, that we are different, it distinguishes us, it's sustainable, and then, um, and then making it happen through those collaborations. We're here with interim President Dave Kaufman here at Capital University on this edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. And President Kaufman, we're going to now start to unpack some of your sports background because we know that you're kind of a sports guy. Uh, you were a student at Ohio Wesleyan, as you mentioned, and a member of the Bishops basketball team. So let's go down that road. Um, what, let's first back it up a little bit and say and ask what sport allegiances do you have to either sports or sports teams? Okay, I am. Um... For, you're right. I'm a sports fanatic. My whole family is. My my daughters are. My wife. Um, I would say that if I'm going to watch anything, I'd probably say college football would be first. College basketball would be second. Probably pro football next. Um, maybe golf and the NBA. I'm more of a LeBron fan than an NBA fan. But um, but generally, I, I enjoy them all. You know, when the season's in. You know, the the Blue Jackets and hockey. I like going to the games. Like seeing them live. Um, I uh, grew up a Browns fan and a Reds fan. That's what my dad was. So there's been some, been a long pull as, as a Browns fan and some, some moments as a Reds fan. But, but right now things are good. We're four and one, right? So, um, but that, that's kind of, um, you know, it's been more of a, a Ohio centric. Um, I, I guess we're the Buckeye Nation. My wife's an Ohio State grad as um, CEO of Vancova. We, um, we supported Ohio State very closely. So just going to bowl games and all that, you, you, it's hard not to get caught up into the Buckeye Nation. When you're when you're in that role and, and living in Central Ohio, well, then you've had a pretty good sports season. I mean, you just saw LeBron James win another championship with the Lakers. The Reds made the postseason, and the Browns are looking pretty good. So, life as a sports fan for you has to be pretty nice right now. Yeah, life is good, but but there's still my golf game. That's why it's in the hook. So, <laughs> you, you can always if if using me as a uh, you know course of measurement, you're always going to be better than me. They're putt my game, so. You got, you got me beat at the very minimum. Now we've had a long wait for live sports to return and we're in the thick of a lot of championships and, and really on the cusp of other sports seasons beginning, but of all the ones that you've enjoyed watching or even plan to watch, what has your utmost attention right now? I'd say probably college football. Just, um, you know, the big 10 is a couple weeks away from starting. We've had um, three or four weeks of the SEC and some of the other conferences. And so I'm just real anxious to see, um, can we sustain it with the pandemic um, concerns? And then um, how will the, the Big Ten integrate into, you know, kind of the, the season's already well, well underway. So I think those are some really interesting dynamics, especially for the coaches. You know, how do you prepare? And, and I think it's also interesting to watch the SEC like this weekend and see how far behind the offenses the defenses are. You know, when you're seeing teams score combined 90 to 100 points, I mean, that's not SEC football in the past. So I, I find that interesting. But I, I'm real, um, real excited to see how the, how the Big Ten, how they look, you know, the first couple of weeks compared to the teams that have been, been competing a little bit longer. 
And we'll get into college football in just a little bit later here in this interview. But for right now, let's talk more about you. You mentioned that you're an avid sportsman and you actually partake in a lot of different activities. Uh, among those is your golf game that you say that you're, you continue to work on. Uh, I hear that you're a skier and even a tennis player. So tell us about some of the activities uh, and maybe even grade yourself in them. That's all right. Now, probably golf is would be my favorite, I would say. Um, I'm a 12 handicap, so kind of a bogey golfer, you know, 80 to 85 is, is what I shoot. And it seems kind of hopeless to get below that, but I'm, but I'm still working at it. Um, the, uh, my wife is a, an exceptional downhill skier. So she's been skiing since she was three. Um, our honeymoon was in um, Aspen. So I learned to ski, you know, through that. So, so that's a, a big part of it. And I, it's kind of neat too, to see she is so much better than me at that sport. You know, so that, that's kind of kind of a neat competitive uh, angle there too. On tennis, um, it's really platform tennis. I play that in the winter. I learned that since living in Worthington Hills. So you actually play outside and cold in the snow. So it's a, it's kind of unique and, and it's more of a camaraderie. I got a lot of friends that play it. So I, I go really for, for that as much as the sport. And one thing that centers in my three daughters and my wife, um, everybody runs marathons. So um, she's run a number of them, um, all my daughters have. And, and I've run four, but it's been more just out of, um, running was always my, my stress management. And then to share that with, um, you know, with, with my family has been special. So, but again, nothing, you know, it's kind of survive the four hour run as opposed to setting any records or anything, so. Fair enough, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can relate. So if you're talking about favorite courses or maybe some resorts that you've uh, skied at, what are some of your favorites that you'd suggest to us? I would say uh, skiing would be the back holes at Vail where the snow was mid thigh and just really unique conditions. Um, golf, um, I just came back with, um, there was eight of us went to Bandon Dunes and um, originally it was gonna be a trip around an Ohio State Oregon football game. And when the football game was canceled, we, we kept the trip. So it's kind of part of uh, my retirement also, but that just, uh, it's a slice of heaven. Uh, Bandon Dunes, when you're you know, along the ocean, the edge of Oregon and uh, five just fabulous courses and that's all you're doing. Um, it was uh, pretty special. So I'd, I'd go back. All right, highly recommended. Give it the Dave stamp of approval then. <laughs> Now, mentioned that you were a member of the men's basketball team at the Wesleyan. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown of your collegiate playing career? What uh, positions you played, maybe your style, and maybe even a few accolades or numbers that you hang your hat on? Yeah, well, there's, there's no numbers to, to hang my hat on. But I would say um, I was a point guard um, and uh, all, all four years. Um, Frank Shannon was the, the coach my freshman year, Gene Mahaffey the other three years. So I went through a coaching change there. And I was, um, the, the team was kind of um, 500. And um, I was a, I'd play maybe a quarter to half the game. I was a captain, but there was a, there was a point guard better than me. So I was kind of the, the substitute for him and, and support of him. So, um, so no record career there, but, but I'll tell you what, the um, being a captain and, and just the whole camaraderie around the, you know, the sport and the competitiveness and the, and the teamwork was a, a really special experience that actually, um, and it's one thing I'm big with, with capital here, a lot of those skills transferred, you know, in, into the, the corporate challenges that I had, but, but it was a great experience at Wesleyan. And Wesleyan at the time too, they, it wasn't so much basketball, it was all around soccer and lacrosse was, you know, they were um, competing for national titles in those two sports, as opposed to some of the traditional ones. Very good. Now, you mentioned that, you know, some of the things that you learned as an athlete kind of translated into a post-collegiate career. Can you go into depth a little bit more about what your time as a student athlete did for you and your professional career? 
Uh, yeah, I would say um, first leadership, you know, um, especially being a captain, a lot of the elements of leading a team, uh, uh, you know, correlates to uh, leading an organization. It's about trust and execution and, you know, communication. Um, teamwork, um, now you see uh, most of, of corporate America has gone to teams, integrated teams. And, and you can tell when you're working those that have experience being part of a team as those that don't, you know, knowing your role, can, committing to something bigger than you and, and some of those elements. I think um, you learn to the goal achievement, you know, how critical goals are and having to overcome obstacles to achieve them. You know, all those were, um, were, were critical. Uh, even, and, and maybe time management was one of the, the, the key things. So when you think about, I remember the practices, the games and a full schedule of, of academics. And now as a, as a CEO and as, and as a president and manager, I mean, that time management is critical. You know, really knowing we're all pulled with, um, you got important and urgent things and urgent things. And how do you make sure you don't get lost here and really manage your time so you're, you're focused on the urgent things that move the needle. So no, no different than, than your team and the competitive drive with the team is very consistent with the competitive drive of a university or a company. Very good. Now, we're going to go back and we're going to give you a mulligan, so to say, on maybe of your uh, past playing career. But if there was a sport that you wish that you could have tried or maybe trained a little bit more or maybe even you still want to try to pick up, what would that sport be? I would say probably lacrosse. So um, my high school did not have a lacrosse program. So when I went to Wesleyan as a basketball player, um, a lot of my friends there were lacrosse players. So that's really when I really got exposed to it. And I, I really, really liked it. It seemed like it had some, some elements um, strategically like basketball, but some of the physicality more of football. And, and so it's a sport that I never really got an opportunity to, to play and compete in that I think really aligned with some of the skills I had. So I think that'd be it. I'd, I'd um, somehow figure out how to get involved with that in high school and, and see what that might've turned into. Well, if you talk to head coach Don Marzano long enough, he might put a stick in your hand and try to get you out. So, yeah, one year, that was good. <laughs> there you go. Hey, that's something. Now, would you be a goaltender, a forward, a, you know, a goal scorer, a defender? What, what do you think? I'd say I'd be a, um, I'd have to be a, a defender at this point, no doubt. <laughs> Fair enough. We, hey, we take, take the shots. There you go. We're here with interim president of Capital University, Mr. Dave Kaufman. Now let's mix sports and business. COVID has obviously been dominating the headlines nationally as well as here at the institution. How do you feel that Capital's COVID response has panned out both to student athletes and the larger campus population alike? I think from the, the larger campus population, I, I'm proud of what we've done and all the, the time that has gone into the safety precautions, the, the protocols, um, on the campus overall, and then you look at with the NCAA, the, the staging and phasing is, is the student athletes return to campus. I mean, there's a lot of complexity, a lot of unknown. Um, and I've been really um, pleased both with how prepared we were. And now you look at this point in time and looking back how effective it's been. So really pleased with that. You know, we decided to um, go the first month virtual in the classroom before the students and student athletes joined campus. And, I, and that was controversial and a difficult decision. But looking back, I'm really pleased with that because we could learn from some of the other schools. And, uh, and I think we are better prepared um, than we might otherwise have been with, without having done that. So, you know, that's one of these things we monitor daily. I think we're set up to kind of sense and respond what we need to do. 
but at this point, really pleased with, um, you know, our stats have been outstanding compared to other universities. So I think that shows that our students are, are being disciplined and um, complying with the protocols in place, which is difficult. I mean, it changes the student experience, no doubt. But I've been um, real, real pleased and, and compliment them on their support in, in making this happen because it takes all of us. It really takes all of us to, um, to you know, to pull this off. And you are the president, you're on the president's council for the Ohio Athletic Conference. And we won't get too deep into the trenches about what and how the decisions were made in the interest of athletics and public health. But when you partake in these conversations, what are the some what are some of the things that you personally navigate when trying to come up with proposals for deliberation? Well, you know, it's interesting because we're we're a conference of 10. But all ten have their own uniqueness, and and um, and I think we have some unique considerations that maybe the other nine don't have. So I always go in with that mindset, kind of. Um, I want to be part of the conference, but also representative of our specific needs and and desires. But um, and so I'm new into that, you know, just um, three months into it. What I found is um is a is a team. Safety is the number one thing. To, I mean, that trumped everything else, which I was pleased to see, you know, so um, when you look at the, the competitive drive of the different universities and different sports that that safety trumped everything else. Um, I was really pleased to hear that and then it really got into that part of the challenge was the NCAA brought out so much criteria from gating to phasing and how do you introduce the student athletes back on campus it's it's drawn out and pretty um, sophisticated so then you get into well how practical is that. What's that experience actually like? And um, we spent a lot of time on that. What, you know, we want to deliver that student experience. And man, there's a lot of um, obstacles and, and considerations now. And maybe the third thing was just the, the financial sustainability of it. You know, when you look at the tests we're doing and, and um, all the protocols put in place, it's a, it's a balancing act. So I, what I found is with the presidents, it seems from safety to practicality to cost. Those, those three things all seem to come into play. And then what's, what's unique to the um, student athlete on, on each campus. And um, you know, we have different schedules, calendars and that. And, and I've found it good that, that everyone kind of, um, okay, I'll give in because it's in the best interest of the student athlete on, at, at that university, even though maybe the other university doesn't benefit from it. So I've, I've really appreciate and respect that. And we certainly look forward to some of the decisions that are made and the actions that result from those discussions as we await the return to sport. But in speaking of that, uh, what are your feelings that, uh, you know, athletics has a role to play at an institution? What do you feel is athletics role in the uh, play of an academic institution? Well, actually, I think it's critical, especially for um, capital. I think it's it can in part uh, differentiate us. Um, offering, you know, I, I shared that my experience, you know, what did I learn, you know, from time management to leadership to goal achievement, you know, teamwork, you know, all those, all those skills, overcoming obstacles, every student athlete that participates in the sport uh, learns from that. They have role models from their coaches, you know, there's, there's one-on-one -on -one mentoring. That's all part of, of athletics, which I think are key to developing all of us to, to, excel in whatever we choose to do. So I think that's critical. And I also think that, you know, so, so the individual student athlete benefits from that, but then you look at the university and, and I picture since that's what differentiates us, we need to be recruiting more student athletes. So I think it can be a, a real um, asset to help recruit our enrollment um, and help us, you know, even financially from the, the numbers 
that come in with the experience, the, you know, the personal, academic, social uh, development that, that we offer. And then I also think from the, the CAP fam and, and, you know, when you're rallying around teams, you got the, the spirit, the vibrancy on, on campus from everyone being involved in some kind of, of you know, co-curricular activity, there's an energy to that. And, um, and that is, can be a part of a very unique experience that, that you're not going to get on every, every other campus. Good. And, and so when we look out to our student athletes, to our fans, parents, alumni, all of whom are probably listening or watching, watching this podcast, is there a general message that you would like to send to them as we navigate this fall and this winter and, and look forward to sports returning this spring and beyond? Yeah, maybe it would be that how important it is to, to me as a president and to the university. I think it's a critical element of what we offer it's foundational to our future. And so with that being said, and some of the conditions that we're, you know, we're navigating through now, I, I think it's important every, everyone understands that it's about how do we um, overcome these challenges and deliver a superior student experience despite that, that we can continue to build on and recruit into. I just think that that's such a, a big part of the liberal arts education and the, the development of all our students, you know, athletics plays such a key role in that, that, um, that it's something we're going to, we need to invest more in, um, promote more, I think, and engage our alumni maybe more um, closely with our, our current teams and our current um, coaching network to, to really get our message out and, and expand our, our recruiting. Um, when I look at the, um, you know, if we're going to recruit in, say, 700 um, students, I would like to see two to three, a hundred of them being athletes, just because that's so foundational to the development of the, of the success of our, of our students. Well, President Kaufman, it's been an absolute pleasure in taking the first steps and getting to know you as a professional and as a leader of our institution. And I feel that we've only really scratched the surface of who you are and what your vision is. So perhaps whether it be about sports, life or business and capital, may we even be able to invite you back for future episodes? Oh, I, uh, Ryan, I appreciate that. I, I would love that. You know, my, in my first 90 days, I spent so much time looking at strategy and structure. I'm just reaching the point now where I can start um, focusing on relationships. And I'm actually, I'm talking with Dixie this afternoon. I want to meet with her and the coaches. And so now I'm near the point where I can start um, getting to know everybody and, and uh, developing the trust at, um, you know, at a, at a coaching level and get to know each other better. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, um, and, and maybe discussions like this will help. Uh, help my introduction and, and build on that. So thank well, you. We, cer we, we certainly look forward to that. And we certainly look forward to having you attend some Capital Athletic events in the future when we can have that happen. But until that time, again, thank you so much for your time and, and wishing you safety and wellness as we continue to take the CAP fam forward. Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right. This has been Interim President of Capital University, Dave Kaufman, as we wrap up this episode of Forward Capital Crusaders. Now that was a treat. An extra special thanks to Capital University Interim President Dave Kaufman for his time and his insight. And thanks to Dixie Jeffers and Alex Coleman for joining us on the podcast as well. If you would like to listen to any of our past episodes, hit up our website, athletics.capital.edu, or find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll be back on Tuesday, October 27th, when we go outside of the box a bit and feature head athletic trainer Matt Smith and learn more about his area. 
we have some tough decisions on what alumni to feature next, so stay tuned so you see who we select, plus your regular AD update. Get up to the minute information by following Cap Athletics on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter as at Cap Crusaders and on Facebook if you search Capital University Athletics. Thanks for joining us, Cap fam. And until next time, let's keep moving forward. I'm Ryan Gasser.